0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Good
2: evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Jolani Tulo, Tracy Boomgard, as well as Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Former Congolese warlord to appeal the 30-year term handed by the ICC for war crimes and crimes against humanity. The Gambia files a historic lawsuit in the International Court of Justice seeking to hold Myanmar accountable for state-sponsored genocide against its minority Muslim population. And in economics, Rwanda looks to Zimbabwean mining professionals to cover a skills gap. Lastly, in your sport, Rafael Nadal's bid to end the year as world number one faltered with a straight-set loss to Alexander uh, Verev at the ATP Finals. But right now, let's uh, cross over to the news desk. Here's Zwerdany with your latest news bulletin. SABC News. Independent
3: and impartial. From an African perspective.
4: Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. Unknown gunmen have killed six farmers near Tanzania's southern border with Mozambique. This comes amid growing concerns over Islamist militants in the area. The ambush on Tuesday night is the latest in a spate of execution-style attacks in the area since 2017 that have so far killed more than 100 people. The gas deposits in the area are in northern Mozambique in the northern Mozambican province of Cabo Delgado. And researchers have found that the militants who are based there and launch attacks on both sides of the border have links to Islamist groups in Tanzania, Somalia, Kenya and the Great Lakes region where some are also receiving training. The St Methodist Church in Cape Town, South Africa, says it remains committed to shelter 700 foreign nationals in the church. The Rev. Alan was says while the church is concerned about their presence, that their presence rather could be a fire hazard, it remains the church's obligation to assist the vulnerable. The refugees are demanding to be sent to any country besides their home country where their lives are not at risk, saying South Africa is no longer safe. Stories says several NGOs and the city of Cape Town are assisting them.
5: People say, well, when will the church get back to normal? Well, we must remember that as a church, this is what we're meant to be doing, is caring for the vulnerable. We've got no other reason to exist than care for the vulnerable. Obviously, in the form in which we are caring for the vulnerable is quite a predicament. But this is our work. But we're very clear that we can't continue. And no one wants to. I mean, think about it. Who wants to be sleeping on top of one another with strangers in a strange building without proper amenities? No one wants that.
4: Major protests and unrest have brought parts of Hong Kong to a standstill for the third consecutive day. Protesters have been engaged in street battles with riot police. Mass protests started in April. against plans for an extradition bull that would have allowed criminal suspects to be handed over to China. The demonstrations have since taken a much wider scope, with protesters now demanding full democratic rights for citizens and an independent inquiry into police behavior. The BBC's Robert Robin Brandt has more.
5: The impact on Hong Kong's infrastructure is once again significant, as this wave of working day protests shows no sign of stopping. There were more arrests after police confronted demonstrators in the central financial district this lunchtime. Part of the metro network here remains closed after protesters blocked the rail track. Tomorrow, every kindergarten, primary and high school will cancel classes. The government said it was worried about the repeat of what it called despicable attacks on some schools.
4: Scores of Kenyan students and teachers have been hospitalized after a dangerous chemical was used during the Kenya Certificate of Secondary Education chemistry examination. One student suffered serious burns on his face during the practical exam while others were hospitalized after suffering dizziness. The chemical that exploded had been used as an alternative to cyclohexene after the Ministry of Education gave those instructions in a circular. Kenya National Examinations Council sent a circular on the 1st of November asking principals to purchase xylene, The circular also directed the school's heads where to buy the chemical. The government has denied that the chemicals used in the exams were poisonous with the Ministry of Education Cabinet. And finally, the mayor of Venus, Luigi Brugnaro, says severe flooding in the Italian city is a direct result of climate change. He added that the impact of the worst floods in more than 50 years will leave a permanent mark on the city. One of Venus's main landmarks, St. Mark's Square, was covered in over a metre of water overnight. Videos on social media show tourists wading through water streets. Chairs and tables can also be seen floating outside cafes and restaurants. Brunago has appealed for Assistance from the Italian government to tackle the floods. We're here and we're waiting. We've reached another record. We need
6: everyone to lend a hand, and we need to be united in the face of this, which is evidently the
4: effect of climate change. Headlines at 5:30 for Channel Africa. I'm Cholani Tulo.
3: SABC News, Independent. And impartial. From an African
0: perspective.
2: The former Congolese warlord Bosco Taganda will appeal the 30-year term handed by the International Criminal Court, the ICC, for committing war crimes and uh, crimes against humanity. It has been reported that Taganda's lawyers has, have already uh, filed the appeal and his lawyers told media that their client was at peace with himself. Ntaganda was convicted in July on multiple charges of war crimes and crimes against humanity. The sentence is the longest that the ICC has ever handed down. Amal Nassar, the International Federation for Human Rights permanent representative to the ICC, says this was a breakthrough conviction for the ICC.
1: is uh, particularly important and it's uh, actually a very encouraging development in terms of the cases before the ICC. It's particularly encouraging because um, Taganda held a very senior position uh, when the crimes were committed so he uh, holds responsibility as a commander but also as a direct uh, perpetrator but his conviction of a wide range of crimes uh, really attests to the ability of the court to hold uh, people the senior responsibility to account for the crimes they committed. It's also a very important case because it is now um, uh, the first conviction of uh, sexual and gender based crimes. It could be the first conviction if it's, uh, uh, if it's upheld on appeals. Uh, Because, as you said, the defense of both Contaganda will appeal both the conviction and the sentencing. But the fact that he is now held uh, uh, to account and was found guilty for all crimes against humanity and war crimes that he was charged with, including the sexual and gender-based crimes uh, that were committed uh, against the population, but also against his own troop, is significant importance and is a really encouraging development. In terms of the sentencing, the defence now has 30 days to appeal the sentencing. uh, And I believe they have already filed their appeal on the conviction itself.
7: Now, let's look at that, uh, Amal, in terms of what would be the processes of that particular appeal. Is there a certain way to do that within the framework of the International Criminal Court?
1: Of course, all parties will be heard. On this appeal, so uh, it's the appeal of the defence, but the prosecutor will will respond. Very importantly, the victims' lawyers will also provide their observations because their interests are, uh, of course, affected. So all parties will be heard on the issues that the defense identifies in their appeal. uh, And then it is up to the appeals chamber to decide uh, whether they are convinced by the defense or not. Uh, And so once all arguments are heard, it is up to the judges at the appeals chamber to uphold the conviction and or their sentence uh, or reverse them. Mm. And of course, we don't know exactly the timeline um, of, of how, uh, how long that will take. Uh, so that we will have to wait and see.
2: And that was Amal Nassar, the International Federation for Human Rights Permanent Representative to the ICC, speaking to Benjamin Mushitama. The Gambia has filed a historic lawsuit in the International Court of Justice in The Hague seeking to hold Myanmar accountable under international law for state-sponsored genocide against its minority Muslim population known as the Rohingya. The suit also asks the court to order Myanmar to cease and desist from all acts of genocide to punish those responsible, including senior government officials and military officers, and to make reparations to the victims. For more on this, Channel Africa spoke to Alison Smith, Director of International Justice Program at the No Peace Without Justice, one of the non-governmental organizations that are supporting the initiative.
8: It is a very historic case, uh, and there's a, there's a few reasons for that. I mean, we are supporting the initiative um, for two main reasons. The first, of course, is that we would like to see some form of justice uh, for the Rohingya victims of the genocide being committed by Myanmar. But we're also supporting it because we we really welcome and applaud the initiative taken by the Gambia, a small state uh, that has no no involvement in this situation uh, of the genocide that's being committed in Myanmar. Really, you know stepping up and saying there's a crime here being committed and we think it's wrong and we will do what we can to prevent it and to to find accountability for it. So it's Mm -hmm. really, it's the first time that it's happened uh, at the International Court of Justice under Mm -hmm. the Genocide Convention and uh, we really just want to support the Gambia as much as we can.
0: Now has this lawsuit, Alison, been endorsed by the Organisation of Islamic Corporation uh, with the large majority of them of course uh, being the Muslim populations?
8: That's right, yes, we understand. The, the um, organisation of the Islamic Cooperation has endorsed this initiative. You know, it's been the subject of many discussions within the context of the OIC, prompted in, in large part uh, by the Gambia. Uh, but we know that the OIC is, uh, is fully behind this, and uh, we would hope to see more individual member states uh, stepping up as well.
0: Now, normally, you know, controversial cases like this one are in the uh, the ICC, but uh, this particular case was filed at the International Court of Justice in instead of the ICC. Let's chat a little bit about that.
8: Yes, absolutely. I mean, of course, the The uh, ICC deals with individuals and deals with individual criminal Mm -hmm. responsibility uh, and the International Court of Justice deals with the responsibility of states. Um, So in in this case it's not being alleged that any particular individual um, has committed genocide but rather that the state uh, of Myanmar is responsible for the genocide and as you mentioned um, the filing of the the Gambia on Monday uh, requested the, the ICJ to direct Myanmar to stop committing genocide and, and to to punish it. Uh, to punish the genocide that has already
0: occurred mm. do you think that the lawsuit will uh, change the perception of the Gambia and of course position it as one of the countries that are standing up against injustices
8: absolutely and and as I mentioned I mean a small country with no no dog in its side if I can put it like that uh, I really think it's it's incredible that they are taking this uh, this leadership role and you know I, in in part in response I think to to their understanding and knowledge as a country that's been through uh, atrocities been through a turmoil that knows that accountability uh, in, and justice are very important for the healing process. Um, but also, you know, there's a lot of uh, people from the Gambia uh, who are if I can put it like this, big in the international justice world, who have worked on on genocide in other countries uh, and have you know witnessed firsthand just how awful that can be, and uh, and are obviously determined to to stop it happening anywhere.
0: And uh, finally, um, uh, when are the court proceedings expected to begin? Well, I think there's, there's two separate things to look at when we're talking
8: about the court proceedings at the ICJ. One is the case itself on the substantive question of, of whether you know, the ICJ will find that Myanmar has violated the Genocide Convention. And that could take a very long time. We know the wheels of justice grind incredibly slowly, particularly at the international level. Uh, so that uh, substantive case could take quite a while. But in respect of the provisional measures that Gambia has, has sought, and has has asked the ICJ to to have Myanmar report back on what they're doing to implement those provisional measures of stopping genocide, of of punishing it. That could happen fairly quickly. I believe when uh, Bosnia brought a similar case against Serbia uh, for the genocide that was committed in, in Yugoslavia in the 1990s, provisional measures uh, the hearing took place within a matter of of weeks. So it could the provisional measures could come through quite quickly. We we of course hope that they do
2: that was Alison Smith, Director of International Justice Programme at the No Peace Without Justice Organisation, on the line from Brussels in Belgium, talking to Zikona Miso.
9: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
7: What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment
2: The South African Parliament has paid special tribute to the Springboks for winning the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Political parties expressed mixed views, with the EFF being very critical of what it calls fake celebrations. The three-time Rugby World Champions won the Webb Ellis Trophy in Japan about 10 days ago. It is the third time that the Boker have won the, World, the Rugby World Cup in the last 24 years. Our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Besant tells us more.
10: ANC Chief Wipemi Majodina says the Springboks' victory has enabled South Africa to bury segregation. Opening the debate, this was Majodina's message.
7: The whole nation is celebrating. It is tribulation to us all as a nation. We have come a long way. It's been an uphill battle going through difficult struggles as a nation. Today it makes us proud to bear segregation through the victory of the Springboks after thoroughly trouncing the superpowers of
10: rugby. DA Chief Whip Natasha Mazzoni says the Springboks rescued the country from what she described as a frighteningly low point. Mazzoni has praised the Bokka.
11: I had the extreme honour of meeting some of the team when they started their South African tour here at Parliament. And I was immediately struck by two things. The first was their humbleness and patriotism. The second was the fact that none of them have yet realised that they in actual fact came to the rescue of a country when we were at a frighteningly low point.
10: However, EFF MP Mbuisi and Ndlozi has described the Springbok Rugby World Cup celebrations as fake. While acknowledging Springbok captain Sia Kolisi's excellence, Ndlozi denounced the Springbok symbol.
7: The EFF has long called for total decolonization of our public symbols. This underlies our inability to join in the fake celebration of the Springboks. Because the springbok is a sign that cannot be whitewashed. It stands in parallel continuity with the STEM, entrenching white supremacy in our society. That is why the rugby team in question is white dominated. It is a perfect reflection that white people have successfully resisted change in our country for the last 25 years.
10: IFP MP Alphas Butelezi says the victory of the springboks has displayed our South Africans yearned for unity in support. Of the Bokka.
7: We owe it to our national rugby team in 2019 who have single handed marked the near end of this year on a victorious high. We have seen in the past few days alone how many South Africans yearn for a moment to come together and unite in their support behind our national team and wave our flag patriotically and with enthusiasm. As we all could once again say, we are be South African.
10: Eloise Jordan from the Freedom Front Plus says, one of the single greatest achievements of the Rugby World Cup has been the Springbok team's ability to display how it can unite in diversity.
6: Sia, Faf, Bongi, Mapimpi, Ketsov, Coach Rassi, and the rest of the team have proven that if we work together, listen to each other, respect each other's differences and build on our
10: strengths rather than our weaknesses, we can win. UDM leader Bantu Holomisa Ahmed Sheikh Imam from the NFP, the ACDP's Kenneth Meshwe, ATM leader Vuyo Zungula, Willy Madisha from COPE and the AIC's Lula Martin Chaisa all paid tribute to the Boker.
7: To Rasi, you have stayed your course and forged a team of men who had the heart and the skill to bring home the Webb Ellis Trophy. Thank you. To the Springbok management and support personnel, we say a job well done. Without you, our boys would not have been able to perform as well as they did. To Sia and the rest of the team, you have captured this nation's imagination. Thank you for raising our hopes and making us proud.
6: The one thing that we all forgot on this day was hatred. We forgot about race, we forgot about gender. We all came together as a united South Africa, standing together behind our people.
7: Amapokopogo has just become the pride of our nation. As we chanted and sang in unison, we marked an, an important era in, in our nation. So Springbok, we want to thank them for everything. They have helped us to arrive where we are at this stage. Rugby has been accepted as part of the culture and identity in many townships across our country. In that light, I'd like to direct our attention to the national women's rugby team that needs sponsorships, transformation in policies that still lean more towards the men. South Africans are stronger and will be unbeatable if we continue to stand together. To Mabogobogo, we say we salute you, you our team, and the Lord bless you for all your efforts. Thank you. Thank you
2: very much. And that report was by our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Percent. Mauritians voted last week in an election that will see Prime Minister Pravind uh, Jugnauth v. to win a popular mandate two years after he was handed the top job when his father stepped down. Nearly a million voters were registered for the parliamentary election. Gender Links says the proportion of women in the Mauritius Parliament increased from 12% in 2014 to 20% in the recent elections, which is still well short of the gender parity target in the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. The organisation has called for urgent electoral reform. More from Anushka Virash, Virasami, Gender Links Country Manager for Mauritius.
6: As, uh, you know, gender links, we are actually signatory of uh, the SADEC protocol. I mean, even though Mauritius is the only country... Uh, in the SADC, who hasn't signed that protocol, but we are working closely with, uh, you know, the protocol itself, So, which says there should be 50, we're talking about 50-50 campaign, which has been ongoing, and also talking about the importance having that uh, 50% representation of women in Parliament. Now, looking at uh, statistics today, we see that there has been an increase, because when we're talking about 20%, of course, uh, you know, uh, of, of women, in uh, in our parliament today, uh, which is better than what it was in 2014. But still, we're saying, I mean, we're very concerned because uh, in 2019, uh, we're not kind of very close to that kind of uh, to, to 2030 uh, target, and even with a Sustainable Development Goal target. So, yes, we are very concerned, and especially when you think about uh, Mauritius, When you think about the number of of women, it's 52% uh, women in the country on a total of 1.3 million people. So we are very small, but there's more women than men. And uh, I think there's a lack of that kind of political will of putting women uh, up front in in different parties and as candidates as well. Because when we're looking at uh, the different seats that have been given, for example in the different uh, main parties, because, I mean, we, we've got to make clear that there's uh, three main parties that's been running for this election, which is an alliance uh, of uh, club parties, which is called the Alliance uh, Mauritian, which is a Mauritian alliance. There's the National Alliance, and then there's the movement for Mauritian, which is the MMM. So uh, looking at the seats, again, it's, uh, you know, they got the the the... Uh, Mauritian Alliance got 42 seats out of which are only eight for uh, women but two as Best Loser because we've got a Best Loser system uh, just to give it the kind of equilibrium uh, when it comes to uh, the minorities in the country. And uh, also when we're looking at the National Alliance, it's uh, 17 seats they got and uh, one is from the Best Loser. So there was no women at first were elected under that kind of alliance, 14 men, zero women, and they got one person from as Best Loser. Then there's the MMM, which uh, got nine seats, two female and one again came back from the Best Loser system. So it's good that uh, uh, the Best Loser system managed to get that kind of 50, 50% women, so that's the good thing. but when we look at the total, I mean, 20% is not good at all. And to bring themselves to injury, um, uh, the ministers were nominated yesterday, and out of the 24 ministers, we've got three women only. And those women are leading roles like the Minister of Education, the Minister of Social Services, and the Minister of Gender. So, again, giving... Ministerial posts to women, but posts like never, never giving the women like posts of the financial, you know, ministry or other important ministries as well. So this is the kind of big concerns uh, gender links has. We will keep working with uh, the government. We've always have. Uh, we will keep uh, doing uh, advocacy to ensure that we come closer and closer to that 50/50 because i mean right now we are we're not happy it is good there's been a, a slight increase but we are really not happy with uh, what is happening
0: now with the country also preparing for the municipal elections due to take place next year what That's then right. should what work should be going on in the country to ensure that we achieve uh, this 50% representation of uh, female uh, in uh, politics
6: so um, we are not sure yet when the municipal um, election and the, the district council election going to be happening. But uh, importantly, the work needs to start kind of now, now, because we need, like, uh, generally we are actually working with the local government and we've got the Centre of Excellence, which we call them, because we actually go and do quite a lot of work and verification within those councils. And uh, the work needs to start now training women and giving them the voices and getting them to want to be candidates for those elections. It is uh, the elections for municipal and district councils. It's uh, e- even bigger because, I mean, there's a lot and lot of candidates. So um, there's the work needs to start now. A lot of training needs to be happening. But then there's got, again, to be that kind of political will
0: and getting women in. As gender links, were you uh, generally satisfied, though, with the conduct of these uh, recent elections?
6: As gender links, we are happy with the way it's been going, and it's important to mention as well that there was the SADC uh, observers who were here in Mauritius. Uh, They did give a few recommendations, and one important recommendation they gave uh, that there's a kind of quota for the national election as well, and I think that's very important because we've got that quota for uh, the local government elections and uh, for national election, I think there should be that, so that I could redress the situation. But uh, unfortunately, what happened in Mauritius as well is that uh, a lot uh, there's about seven thousand people who couldn't vote because their name was not on the list, and uh, so there's quite a lot of uh, queries being done at the moment as we speak because we need to know what happened and why those people were not on the list uh, to vote.
4: And
2: that was Anushka Verasamy, Gender Links Country Manager for Mauritius on the Line, talking to Ntlantla Masango. In just a bit, we'll be crossing over to the news desk where Tulo is standing by to give us our latest news headlines.
7: Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective can be heard every Wednesday at 10-hundred hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 20-hundred hours, Thursday at 300 hours and Sunday at 13-hundred hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa, a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective spotlight
9: africa
10: when i think back to my childhood geographically it reminds me of a time where i was black and only black and only struggling but at the same time always reaching for something more something bigger in a south africa that was hostile
5: hello africa this is 1000 African Voices and I'm your host, Abu Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa. Rise.
2: Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And now it's time for your headlines. Here's Zhualani Tulo.
3: S.A.B.C. News, independent and impartial. From an
4: African perspective. Thank you, Samora. Making headlines, unknown gunmen have killed six farmers near Tanzania's southern border with Mozambique. The Central Methodist Church in Cape Town, South Africa, says it remains committed to shelter 700 foreign nationals in the church. And finally, major protests and unrest have brought parts of Hong Kong to a standstill for the third consecutive day. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. SABC
7: News. Independent and in from an african from perspective.
4: perspective
2: in a world ruled by data it is frightening to think how few people take protection protecting their information seriously while it has become easy to share everything from your email address and mobile number to more sensitive things such as your id number and other personal details what are the consequences of not safeguarding your data the answer to this and other questions uh, is going to be brought to us by Trent Hodges, Cloud and Hosting Manager at Africa at the uh,
5: Very simply, um, there, there is a lot of information out there on a, a, a personal level um, and there's a lot of information out there from a business level and uh, that information can be used for for many different things to make our lives easier, to you know get us home quicker, to um, you know help us make lists, to help us get uh, our daily uh, lives uh, in order, and, and to do many things that can make our lives a lot easier. But at the same time, uh, the benefits have also a few downfalls where if that information gets into the wrong hands, or if it's not properly looked after, um, then potentially a, a negative impact can can happen.
7: Do companies understand the, the importance of, of safeguarding data?
5: There is a big education drive around it, um, but you know if you look at it, it, it the, the company needs to have a policy, but that policy needs to be driven all the way down to the end users and that, that needs to be you know, enforced because at the end of the day, if a user has got access to certain information about people or a group of people, uh, it's what they do and how they work with that information that could have either a negative or a positive impact on uh, the people that they're servicing.
7: I would imagine that the responsibility to, 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 to safeguard data lies both with the consumer and and the service provider and and, and when then do we, are we able to hold our service providers accountable for our data having been uh, breached as it were?
5: You're 100% correct and you know it, it, it all comes down to the fine print um, because there is a lot of assumptions where people believe that their information is only going to be used for, for certain things and, and most of the time, that is the case because businesses need to be responsible with things like GDPR and Poppy. Uh, they need to do the right thing. But you know, you need to apply that same thing from a personal capacity in your own in your own life. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't give your home address and your telephone number to a complete stranger. And you know, in that same sense, you know, there's a lot of people who think that they've won the lottery when they didn't enter it and then will hand certain information, certain people that certain information. So I think it comes down to, to common sense in some regards where you need to question certain things. And then um, it's it's something where companies and businesses need to educate users uh, around what what information they have, what they are legally allowed to do with that information so that we protecting the user and and their information
10: mm. I,
7: i'm thinking here of of an instance where a google you, know, you would use it maybe their maps uh, 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 application uh, to be able to get from point a to b and then they they then harvest that information to be able to use it to advertise certain things based on your own behavior. Uh, how do you then? De- how do you deal with that?
5: That is something where you know businesses uh, in the tech world have a lot of information on on consumers, and the the good thing is is that the regulations are changing and. Um, they need to be a lot more responsible with that information. So we've seen, you know, a lot of the larger tech organizations either being sued or having to pay fines because of doing the wrong thing with that information. But I think it's also around the user also understanding, you know, what... It's all around pros and cons. You know, a lot of people are very happy with um, a particular um, platform Uh, understanding them a bit more so they can market uh, more directly to them, Um, but they need to understand what the negative impact of that is. And, you know, some users are a little bit more educated where they log out of their, um, you know, account and then go and search for specific things so that that history isn't tracked. Um, You know, there's certain apps that you can't, you don't have a choice. You actually have to do that. And then you're really entrusting that those uh, organizations are are using that information for its sole purpose.
7: When it comes to passwords, because the companies will always educate people about having strong passwords to be able to, to safeguard the information that they are keeping. What are the, some of the key uh, elements that one needs to think about when they are thinking about safeguarding, especially in terms of passwords?
5: You know, you need to think in you know, in the mind of the criminal. And um, if somebody's trying to access your information, uh, they're gonna apply the logical things like your names, like um, dates Death of birth days. all um, of that kind mm, of stuff. Mm, mm. So it's it's around, you know, adding a bit of complexity and not going with the traditional ones. Uh and, and it's also around um you know certain business information and a lot of personal information around multi-factor authentication where you don't just rely on a username and password
2: and that is trent odgers cloud and hosting manager africa at vm vm on the line talking to leander Mahome. Gender activists say the representation of women in Parliament in Mozambique saw a decrease of 2% points uh, in October's elections. They say although Mozambique has one of the best performers in the Southern African development community, the SADC region, the failure to achieve gender parity in these elections is a serious setback. Mozambicans went to the polls to elect their president, the national parliament and for the first time to vote for the provincial governors on the 15th of last month. In the 2014 national elections, women constituted 39.6% of the national parliament. The proportion of women in the national parliament in 2019 is 37.6%, representing a fall of two percentage points compared to the 2014 elections. More from Alice Banze, Gender Link's Lusophone Director.
3: Mozambique, although of course it's one of the countries within SADC and in Africa or in the world, we expected that uh, after so many work that has been done, that has been going around, we thought that at least we could uh, uh, meet or hit, uh, in that case, uh, the parity, gender parity, uh, according with the commitments uh, signed by the SADC uh, member state of states, including uh, the Mozambique uh, member state. Uh, but after so a long process of interview, of campaign, and then uh, the voting process, we could say that uh, um, the process uh, went well. But the, the exact um, aim that we are targeting, which is to see at least Mozambique moving up to the 40% uh, of representation of women in parliament, we realized that this, we failed from the preliminary results that we have, because those are the results of the Commission of National Commission of Election, but we are still waiting the final final confirmation of this data from the Constitutional Council, but we believe that it's not going to change a lot. We realize that we went down decrease on about two percent compared to last year where we had thirty eight point six percent representation of women in parliament. And this year, we're from the data we have, we have thirty seven point eight percent, meaning meaning that we went down, we decreased by two percent. This is a it's a, it's a concern based on what we are expecting to see happening. Although we still believe that the numbers may change, but this also is one of the reason the reasons we got to that. Uh, Level, it's because within the three main uh, parties uh, represented in the parliament, uh, we have the ruling party which managed to beat as a party on its own, managed to beat the 42% on 184 seats. They managed to put uh, seven or allocate 79 seats for women. The main opposition party, which is uh, RENAMU, on the 60 seats they had, they are located only 15 seats for women. But the last uh, opposition party, which is the Mozambican Democracy Party, out of the six seats they had on Parliament, they are located zero seats for women. So this also contributes for these decrease compared to the last uh, the 2014 uh, general election where we had uh, 100 um, women in the parliament making it 40%, and this time we're having only 94%. But we are still uh, working to see uh, when the cabinet as the government will still form its uh, uh, people, uh, it may uh, fill in the gaps and also as they replace a few people until the announcement of the final final results, we also hope that at least we could continue not decreasing in two-point percentage, but at least to maintain on the 39 or 40% as targeted or for the provision when we started with the campaign and then preparing for this election.
0: Now, with the 2030 deadline to meet sustainable development goals and the SADEC protocol on gender and development, what then do you think the country needs to do to meet or achieve uh, the gender parity?
3: First, one of the things that the country is doing and will continue doing because we only have 10 years uh, until 2030 and also all these commitments that we assigned. signed. In order for us not to fail, we'll continue working uh, with the political parties and uh, all of them because there are many and in particular with these three main parties to ensure that their manifestos, they fulfill with what is there in their manifestos, because they do have this information in manifestos. They do have in theory, but in practice, nothing is happening. So we want to work with them. We're continuously working with them closely to ensure that they fulfill with what is there in their manifestos. Also, although the election happened, we are not stopping there. As part of their campaign, like uh, the president of the ruling party, NUSI, of FRELIMO, he said that he will ensure that he will increase women in political leadership. Meaning that this statement also will lead us to continuously lobby him as he forms his cabinet. He needs to uh, fulfill with these commitments and also continue talking with them. And also we are pushing now to have at least not really uh, through the G- TADAC protocol, through their manifestos. We are now starting to work with them to ensure that there is a legal uh, instrument or, or to ensure gender parity. And we're also working to ensure that the zebra system is being uh, implemented in Mozambique as per the Zambia government. And we also want to ensure that not only the zebra, but they need also, using the proportional representation, which is the, the one that Mozambique uses, there is a space. As we organize the list, this will allow us women to get more seats because the way the list is organized, women, we can say that they lose before they start even being part of this process because the lists are not well organized. So, we need really to have a well organized list through the zebra system, and we also need to work with them. And we also need to have something legal, binding, that will make sure that this needs to happen. So we'll also continue really working because the new electoral uh, law that has been passed in Mozambique, that uh, it's part of the local government 2018 election and the 2019, gives space for parties, for political parties to have a role to play, not only through the manifestos, but also to act within the, the women league that they have and ensure that they use this capacity that they have within their parties.
2: And that was Alice Banze, the General Links lusophone Director, talking to Ntlantlamalangu. Right now, let's cross on over to the economics desk. Here's Tracy Boomgaard with the latest.
11: Thank you, Samora. South African Trade Union, NUMSA and the South African Airways Cabin Crew Association say they are willing to reconsider downing tools at SAA if management is willing to come to the table and negotiate their terms over a wage dispute. The unions have issued SAA with a notice to embark on a strike action this Friday if the national airline fails to engage workers. SAA Cabin Crew Association Zazi Nsambognoni and Yam rejected claims by management that the industrial action will collapse the struggling airline. She says the unions are demanding that SAA improve workers' salaries and stop its plans to retrench 900 workers.
3: We are now left with no choice but to resort to drastic action by withdrawing our labor and going on strike. Our first goal is to hashtag save. SAA, and to save jobs. It is unacceptable that 11,000 workers must sacrifice their livelihoods for the failures of a corrupt board and incompetent management. Our members are ready to defend South African Airways, and we call on all other workers to join us in this protective strike.
11: The SAA board has meanwhile warned that placing the embattled airline under liquidation could have catastrophic consequences for the national carrier and the country. The board was briefing Parliament's Standing Committee on Public Accounts on its failure to table its financial statements. SAA board member Martin Kingston elaborates on the reasons for failing to submit the annual report.
9: We could prepare them on a liquidation basis. To do that, we have to place the company into liquidation. There are some consequences that I have to say are catastrophic, in the context of placing SAA into liquidation. In no order of importance, the first is that all of the loan agreements accelerate. It's a default under the loan agreements and under the lease agreements. You'll be well aware of the fact that we have 9.2 billion rands worth of debt that comes due and we've had to shunt, I would say, uh, from month to month. But our leases on the planes also will be accelerated. So, we're not talking about 9 billion rands worth of obligations. We're talking about in excess of 40 billion rands worth of obligations that have to be settled immediately.
11: Ghana's 2020 budget is set to focus on macroeconomic stability, job creation, and infrastructure development. This, as Minister of Finance, Ken of Foriata, represents the 2020 budget statement and economic policies of the government to Parliament. The Ministry of Finance says road rehabilitation and construction, government priority programs and funding for the African Continental Free Trade Area Secretariat in Accra are expected to be highlights of next year's budget. Ghanaians and businesses have called on government to announce measures to raise more revenue to finance government development projects contain government expenditure in order not to derail the fiscal stability of the country and promote the stability of the city. Rwanda's looking to Zimbabwean mining professionals to cover a skills gap. The request was extended to Zimbabwe's Mines and Mining Development Deputy Minister Polat Kamambura at the recently held East and Central African Mining Conference, which brought together mining executives, investors and governments. The skills gap in Rwanda is a result of the civil war that ravaged the country, whose economy is now booming. The Zimbabwean government will on Thursday discuss with striking doctors a proposal on how to improve the working conditions of medical staff. The proposal cites accommodation, food and transport for junior doctors as some of the issues. The country's health ministry says it's working tirelessly to address the doctors' concerns doctors in the country have been on strike for more than 2 months the us dollar is trading at 359.87 nigerian naira 10.76 botswana pula at 101.33 kenyan shilling and at 13.78 zambian kwacha In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.15 Brazilian hail, 64.01 Russian ruble, 71.43 Indian rupee, 7 Chinese wang, and at 14.88 South African rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 90 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,458 and platinum at $869 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $61.93 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bomgard.
2: And now it's time for your latest sport. Here's Ned Money.
9: Thank you, Samara. From the sports desk, a very good afternoon. Starting off with tennis news. South African tennis star Raven Klassen and his New Zealand doubles partner Michael Wieners have qualified for the last four of the ATP Finals in London. The fifth seeded pairing beat second seeds Lukasz Kubot of Poland and Marcelo Melo of Brazil 6-3-6-4 on Tuesday night to claim their second win of the event. Klassen and Wieners will face eighth seeds Ivan Dodik of Croatia and Filip Polasek from Slovakia in their final round-robin game on Thursday, but already are already shot of a spot in the weekend's semi finals
5: If we found a, a, a formula that works for us and um, if we can keep winning serve, you're always going to be in a, in with a shot to win a match and uh, pretty happy with how things went out there. We we obviously had a few sticky moments, but uh, we we survived those well and uh, were able to cap- capitalize and uh, Mike made an incredible reflex to get the break in the second set, so uh, sometimes you need a little bit of that, but very happy.
4: I mean, we work on all sorts, but uh, definitely those reflexes, uh, we practice those just hanging in there and and trying not to turn around, and uh, you lose 99 out of 100 of those points, and I guess just extremely lucky that it it ended up on, on that point, and the ball went where it did because it could have <laughs> gone anywhere um so yeah just uh i think extremely lucky and uh yeah just uh just happy to uh, be through
9: Slovakian tennis player Dominika Sibulkova has announced her retirement at the age of 30. She was ranked as high as number 4 in the world and claimed eight career WTA titles. Other highlights included making the 2014 Australian Open final and the 2009 French Open semifinals. Sibulkova has not played tennis since this year's French Open due to an Achilles injury which prompted her retirement. Maria Sharapova, a five-time Grand Slam winner and former world number 1, is on a visit to Rwanda since last Sunday. The global tennis star According to sources, visited the majestic mountain gorillas in Kineji, Musanza district on Tuesday. Despite an injury-prone career, Sharapova has achieved a rare level of longevity in women's tennis, having won at least one singles title a year from 2003 until 2015. Sharapova is the latest star athlete to visit the mountain gorillas in Rwanda after Arsenal defender David Luiz last month. On to cricket news. West Indies batsman Nicolas Puran has been banned for four T20 internationals for tampering with the ball in a one-day match against Afghanistan. The International Cricket Council, ICC, said in its statement that Puran admitted to changing the condition of the ball after video footage was showed him scratching the surface of the white ball with his thumbnail in look now on Monday. The 24-year-old will be forced to sit out of the team's 3-20 matches against Afghanistan in the first game of their subsequent three-match series against India. After their defeat to Pal Rocks on Sunday, the Cape Town Blitz will be looking to bounce back against the Jersey Stars when the two the Super League franchises meet at the Newlands Cricket Ground on Thursday. Blitz coach Ashwell Prince says it is important to start on a good note with their first home game as they take on the team they beat in the opening game of this year's tournament last week.
2: Look, it really doesn't matter who we're playing against. We need to bounce back, so... Um... You know, at the end of the day, uh, it's an important game. Uh, this, These kind of tournaments are all about momentum. Um, you know, and if you can get two or three on the bounce, that creates uh, a great positivity within the squad. Uh, that's what we're trying to get to uh, at some stage during the competition. You want to tie and get to a row where you can win two or three in a row, create some um, good energy. Um, and the sooner that can start, the better. So it really doesn't matter who we're playing against. Obviously, in terms of the players, they've got a reference point from not, not too long ago. Um, haven't been up against them.
9: For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Chamani.
0: This is Africa Digest.
2: And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. We're back again in one hour at 1900 hours Central African Time. For more comments on the show, you can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp to 2776